We are going to be in Mark chapter 1. We as a church are going through the gospel of Mark together. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're also going to open briefly in Isaiah chapter 35. So if you want to open to Isaiah 35, get that ready. And then get Mark chapter 1 ready as well. Usually what I do is I like to read through the whole entire passage and then pray and then kind of start to unpack it. But we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, okay? It's a good thing, amen? We're going to look at a lot of scripture, almost a whole chapter. So instead of reading through the whole thing, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open in prayer and then we're going to start right into the text and see what it is that God wants to speak to us tonight. We're going to look at a, a variety of stories, a lot of stories of Jesus healing people, Jesus freeing people from physical sickness, physical suffering, and we're going to see what that looks like and what that means for us today. So if you would do this, let's pray together, and then we'll jump in uh, to Mark chapter 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you give us your word that we might more clearly see uh, ourselves and our need for a Savior, and that we might more clearly see Jesus, who is our Savior. Jesus, I ask that you would be lifted up in our eyes tonight. I pray that whatever is vying for our attention, whatever we have given our attention to, I pray right now that our hearts would be turned to Jesus above all else. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us all uh, ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive your truth. God, would you help me to teach only that that you want me to teach. And God, would you help all of us to grow in our love for Jesus, in whose good name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let me just ask this question by way of introduction, okay? Show of hands. How many of you are currently facing some sort of sickness or physical injury, something that is, is plaguing your, your body? Just go ahead and raise your hand, okay? That's a lot of us. That's probably over half, maybe two-thirds of us, uh, and it's been consistent all day long. Listen, sickness and physical ailment is something that affects all of us all the time. And I would actually say that we become so used to it that we forget that it is not part of God's good creation. If you read in the Bible, in Genesis 1, it says that God created the world. He created it, what's the word? Good. It says that, that the man and the woman in the garden enjoyed perfect relationship with God. We see that death and, and sickness was something that entered into God's creation later, but it was not part of his created design for the world. It is only because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who, who chose to rebel against God. They said, you know what, God? I know that you are ruling over the world and that it's good and it's under your wise leadership and rule, but we want to live life on our own terms. We want to make our own decisions. And so they rebelled against God, and because of that, Sickness and sin and disease and death have entered into God's good creation. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I presided over a funeral for uh, a relative of a member of our church. And I said it, the room was largely filled with those who were not Christians, and I said, every single death is a tragedy. And we forget it. Every single death is a tragedy because it becomes normal, but we forget that according to God's plan, according to God's good creation, death was never supposed to enter the picture. Even my little two-year-old this morning, just funny enough, before the very first service, they came this morning, and as they were walking in, I was saying hi to my family and greeting him and giving him hugs, and my two-year-old looks at me and goes, I puked, Daddy. And I said, oh, that, really? When? And my wife goes, like, two weeks ago. You're fine. And she's, like, giving me the puppy dog. I was like, I puked, Daddy. She's trying to get sympathy. She's learned the game. My <laughs> and then I realized where she got it because I played a game of flag football yesterday and I've been like limping around and whining all day and I was like, oh, that's where she gets it from. It's me. <laughs> but even my, my little two-year-old daughter has come to understand that the, the world has fallen, that there's sickness, that, 
that something is not right. When we see Jesus burst on the scene in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be God's king, the one who would restore the rule of God to heaven and earth, the way it was supposed to be. And if we read in the prophets, I mentioned I want to open with Isaiah chapter 35. I want you to see the prophecy that was made hundreds of years before Jesus came about what the ministry of the Messiah would look like. Read with me starting in, in verse 4 of chapter 35. This is what the prophet says. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And here's what, here's what it's going to look like. When God comes, when God sends his Redeemer, here's what it's going to look like. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When God comes to restore his wise and loving rulership, one of the markers would be that those who were physically sick would be healed. And so this is where we encounter Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. Capernaum, this they is Jesus and the two sets of brothers that he called to be his disciples last week. We, we saw that Jesus called Simon and, and Andrew and he called James and John. He said, follow me. They went into Capernaum, which is the town nearest by where they were fishing. It's their hometown. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Side point, can you imagine how good of a preacher Jesus must have been in his earthly ministry here on earth? What, a, what, a, what a, an ability to speak, like this says, with authority. You know, the scribes or Bible teachers, even to this day, a Bible teacher should not say, well, here's what I say. They should say, here's what the word of God says, or here's what somebody else says, and, and point to the evidence of others who have gone before. But Jesus showed up and he said things like, you've read, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but listen to what I have to say. Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke with authority, and it says they were astonished at his teaching. So it's going pretty well. This is the Sabbath. It's a Saturday in the morning, very likely, when they were gathered together for their time of worship. In the Old Testament, the people of God worshiped on Saturday, on the Sabbath. And in the New Testament, after Jesus was raised on a Sunday, the people of God now worship on a Sunday, like we're doing here. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit is another word for a demon, an evil spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, so just pause, time out. Imagine a scenario not too different from what we're all experiencing right now. We're sitting in a room together, someone is teaching, and then all of a sudden somebody stands up and starts having an outburst where they start speaking in plural. We know who you are. What do you want to do with us? This man starts uh, under the influence of an evil spirit, starts speaking against Jesus. But you know what's really interesting? He calls him the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God is a reference to Psalm 16, where, where prophetically King David says that you will not let your Holy One see decay. It's a prophecy about Jesus' resurrection one day. Isn't it interesting 
that this demon is quoting scripture. Twisting it, not using it appropriately, but quoting scripture. Listen, I, we are going to cover the subject of demons much more thoroughly in a few weeks when we get there, but I want to at least just make two brief introductory points. I want you to understand, first of all, that the Bible clearly teaches that there are evil spirits who are in rebellion against God and have set up an opposing kingdom to the kingdom of God. If you believe that there is a God, it is no more illogical to believe in demons than it would be to believe in the existence of a God. The Bible teaches that, that uh, Satan and his angels rebelled against God and are now bent on resisting God. They hate God, and because they hate God, they are bent on harming God's good creation, including the people that God loves. Which brings me to my second point that you need to understand about demons is sometimes one of the methods that demons use, that evil spirits use to bring harm is physical sickness and physical affliction. We're going to see this in the next section here. So he cries out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. This may have looked like, a, like some sort of a seizure, maybe epilepsy or maybe a, a, some sort of a loss of control. The spirit came out, crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Here, here, is, here is Jesus in a confrontation with evil spirits. <clears throat> Again, we saw that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. When Jesus shows up on the scene, it's to preach the kingdom of God. And so right away, I mean, literally, verses after Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, we now see a clash of kingdoms. We see Jesus is in a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus wins. Jesus wins this battle in a decisive manner. It's not just that his teaching was authoritative, but now he actually demonstrated that he had the power to back it up. The people were astonished at his teaching. Wow, he is a good teacher. He teaches with authority. Oh my goodness, someone is now having a manifestation of an unclean spirit, and Jesus rebukes him, takes authority, casts the demon out, and now the people believe. Now they get it. Now they are in, and it says that at once his Fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus is now starting to get famous at once, at once, like an overnight celebrity. Continuing on. And he immediately, I'm sorry, yeah, he immediately left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Okay, so uh, for those of you who are not from Seattle, this is what you call like the post-church you know, lunch, okay? Uh, I, I know that in Seattle, it's not particularly common to like just get done with church and just invite people to come over to your house, but I can assure you in other parts of the world, it's a totally normal practice and people do it all the time, okay? Uh, you might even try it sometime, but this is exactly what they do. They get done with church, invite people over to their house. They go over to Simon's house, Simon and Andrew's house, but Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. So here Jesus has had a long morning of preaching. He gets invited to come over for some food and they get there and Simon's mother-in-law is ill, can't, can't make food for them. 
And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Interesting uh, side point, by the way, uh, if, if any of you have a Catholic background, uh, the claim is that Peter was never married, but I don't know how that works because he has a mother-in-law and the way it usually works is you get a wife and then you get the mother-in-law. Nobody goes out looking for the mother-in-law and then gets the wife. So, um, you know, apologies to my Catholic friends, love you, but uh, it's pretty clear that Peter was indeed married. And actually there's a passage in 1 Corinthians where uh, the apostle Paul talks about Peter taking his wife with him on his travel. So apparently Peter's wife actually traveled with him uh, on his, some of his missionary journeys. Anyways, we're, we're not going to unpack this. We're actually going to come back to this, this story a little bit more. I want you to see what happens next, okay? That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick. So that was their afternoon lunch, and now it's officially nighttime. The sun has gone down, and they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, Capernaum would not have been a big city, not a major metropolitan area, much more of like a town or a village, but still a few thousand people, a big crowd. Hey, some, some serious stuff went down at the church gathering today. Uh, you might want to check out what this Jesus guy is saying. He's a pretty good teacher and he's casting out demons and we hear that he's healing people. The whole city had gathered at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It's like Jesus says, no, I don't want you preaching about me. I'll preach about me. Thank you very much. You demons can just keep your mouth shut. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. So here's, the, here's what I want you to see from this first series of stories, okay? Here's the connection. Sometimes in the Bible, not always, Sickness is connected to demonic activity. Now, not always, as we're going to see in a minute, but sometimes. Listen, some of you, uh, this may be new for you, or some of you, this may be uncomfortable ground for you, but it is a very uh, clearly demonstrable position of the Scriptures that sometimes there is sickness that is because of spiritual attack. Now, we must use wisdom just because someone's sneezing doesn't mean you need to go up and like, I rebuke you, come out of that person, right? You need to use discernment and wisdom. But sometimes it is, it is biblically accurate, biblically faithful to say that some sickness is tied to demonic activity. Let's keep going. There's more. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. So that's got to be probably three or four in the morning because the sun would come up pretty early in that part of the world, 5 a.m., so probably three or four in the morning, Jesus is up. He's had a long day. He's preaching. He's casting out demons. He's staying up late into the night, praying for people, healing. Very early in the morning, he gets up. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So uh, we don't know exactly how long this is, but it looks like probably several hours. Jesus got up before anyone else got up. He went off to be with his father and pray. And the disciples come say, hey, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. You can't just take off like that. The, the people want you. Your crowd wants you. Your public awaits. You know what's amazing is it said that Jesus' fame spread throughout all the region. And I love how he was so uninterested with the praise of the crowds he was so interested in relationship with his father. That's really good. That's really beautiful that, that he was not swayed by the demands of the crowds. He knew 
But the only way that this relation, the only way that this ministry is to go forward is to by investing heavily in his relationship with the Father. So he got up, he withdrew to a lonely place, and he prayed. Simon came, they found him, said, everyone is looking for you. Come back, the people want you. And Jesus' response is brilliant. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Like, nah, they've had enough. There's other places we need to go preach. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him. Now, let me just explain leprosy. I am... Um, I am certainly not a medical professional, but from what I understand about leprosy, especially in the time, it's a skin disease, but it's actually more than that. It attacks the nervous system. It makes it so that you don't have the necessary pain centers and the necessary feeling to protect yourself from the kinds of harm that is normal. So what would happen is people would burn themselves, they would bump themselves on objects, and their skin would begin to bruise, and the muscle tissue would begin to deteriorate, and then their, their body would quite literally fall apart. And in, the, in that culture, leprosy was uh, just the absolute lowest of the low of the low in the social structure. If you were a leper, you were nobody. You were cast aside, you were ostracized. And indeed, it is still that way in some parts of the world to this day. If you were a leper, you were not allowed in the city. You had to go to special leper camps or colonies outside of the city. You weren't allowed to be in the city. If you were a leper, if you were a Jewish leper, you were not allowed to participate in the worship of God in the temple because not only were you physically unclean, but you were ritually or ceremonial unclean. If you were a leper, no one would touch you. No one would touch you because the fear is that they would contract the disease from you and become unclean themselves. Can you imagine going through life we don't know how long this man was in this position, but he was a leper for some time and he is begging, he comes to Jesus begging and pleading so we can assume that it's been some time with no human contact, no hug from anyone. I know there's at least a few people who are kind of like me who don't like hugs that much. It actually sounds kind of good to not have hugs for several years, but, but we know that the human, the human uh, person was made for physical contact. If, if a baby is not touched and held and kissed and snuggled when they're little, uh, something called failure to thrive happens. Even if you give them all the right food, all the right nutrients, they still need human contact. We were made for that type of relationship with each other. And so to be a leper was, was more than just a painful skin disease. It was socially ruinous and it would just be damaging to your soul. Unwanted, untouchable. So a leper came to him imploring him. That's a big word. That's a strong word. Begging and kneeling. He said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. I love the faith of this leper. If you will, I know you can do it, Jesus. I know you can heal me. I have heard the reports of you healing many. Will you? I really wish you would, Jesus. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched this leper, this unclean. Jesus touched him and said to him, I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus said, you need to follow what the Bible says. When you get healed, you're supposed to go to the priest, show yourself, offer a sacrifice, and then you can be declared clean and you can participate in the, the life of the community again. But even despite what Jesus said, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every corner. Just, you know, you all, you all have that friend, right? Like, oh, don't tell anybody yet. It's a girl, but we haven't told my parents yet. So don't tell them. And like 15 minutes later, it's up on their Facebook page and you want to go like hunt them down and kill them, right? Like you all have that friend that just can't keep a secret. Jesus was made like us in every way. He had that friend too. And this, his name is the leper from Mark chapter one. Actually, I wonder, I just wonder if um, part of this wasn't intentional on Jesus' part to spread the word because the best way to make sure that news gets spread is to tell people, don't talk about it, right? Don't talk about it. But immediately he went out and began to talk freely and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town he couldn't even go into town anymore. He became such a celebrity, became such a person of notoriety that he couldn't even go into town. He had to hang out in the wilderness. He had to hang out in desolate places and have people come to him. So, so here, here's, let's pause for a second here, okay? The story about the leper and go back to the story about Simon's mother-in-law. Does the Bible tell us why they're sick? Does the Bible give us any additional information like there were demons involved or there was sin involved or anything like that? Does, does the Bible give us, in these two instances, the leper and Simon's mother, we don't get any additional information. And so the second point, the second takeaway from this is that sometimes in the Bible, sickness is just unexplained. It's simply because we live in a fallen world. A world is fallen. We live under the effects of that fallen world. And so sometimes, like the earlier ones, we could see that there is uh, spiritual attack involved with the sickness, but sometimes, just unexplained, fallen world, our bodies are falling apart. Jesus has not yet returned and freed all of creation from the bondage of sickness and death. It's simply because we live in a fallen world. Okay, one last story here. Chapter 2 into verse 1. And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, so now Jesus is going back to Capernaum, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Big crowd showed up. And he was preaching the word to them. I like that verse. Jesus the preacher, preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Man is paralyzed. He can't move. His four friends have a mat or a stretcher of some sort. They each grab a corner. They pick him up and they carry him around. They're going to take him to Jesus. Those are some good friends, amen? Good friends. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Again, just so we're clear here, that was not common in their culture either, okay? Uh, sometimes you think, like, well, maybe people just took roofs off to let down their friends on a mat. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They, didn't do it. they don't do it in our culture. They didn't do it in their culture. This is strange. 
It'd be like somebody busting, like, no, I really want this front seat, so I just, you know, cut a hole in the wall over there and just kind of let myself to get those front seats, right? It's just not courteous. These guys were persistent. They were not going to take no for an answer. They were not going to let the crowds deter them from getting their friend whom they obviously love. They want to get their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought we brought this guy to you because he was paralyzed. I thought we brought him to you because he had a physical infirmity. He had a, he had a, something was wrong with his body and he needs to be healed. And Jesus, what are you doing getting into your sins being forgiven? Listen, The Bible would say that the fundamental problem with all of mankind, the problem that is underneath all of the other problems, is the problem of sin. Sin is what is the disease, if you were, that is eating away at God's good creation that he loves. Sin is when we do wrong things that we know we should not do. Sin is when we break God's law. But did you know that sin is also when we know that there are good things that we should do and we fail to do them? And I know that at one point or another in your life, maybe even this last week, you've had an opportunity to do good to somebody and you said no because of laziness or inconvenience. The Bible would call that sin. We sin with our, with our words. We say things that instead of building other people up, we tear them down. Or instead of speaking the truth and, 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 and speaking words that are in line with God's reality, we speak lies and deception. Our words are sinful. The Bible would say our thoughts are sinful, that we think of ways to get away with sin or we think of ways to harm others or we think of ways to be selfish and gain more for ourselves. The Bible would even say in Genesis, there's a verse that says every motive and every intention of man's heart was only evil continually all the time, which means even your motives can be sinful. How many of you know that you can do a good thing for a really messed up motive and a really wrong reason? The Bible says it's sin. It's sin. And we think that we have problems. We think that we have issues to deal with. But Jesus here gets to the heart of the matter and he says, it's not just that you are paralyzed. It's not just that you cannot walk, but you need to have your sins forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. I love how Jesus knows what people are thinking, okay? If you think you're getting away with something, you're not. Jesus knows your thoughts. He loves you. He offers you grace. But just know, Jesus knows our hearts. He said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? So, so, Jesus knows their thoughts. And before we jump on the, hey, why are those bad scribes being mean to Jesus? Can we, can we just say the obvious? They're actually right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? If, if you come up to me and punch me in the face, Pastor Travis doesn't get to come along and say to that person, well, say to you, I forgive you, right? Like, hey, wait a minute, I was the one that got punched in the face. I need to do the forgiving. Thank you. Appreciate your help. But I'm the one that's supposed to do the forgiving. If we sin, it is against God. 
Even though our sin has devastating effects against other people, ultimately the Bible would teach that our sin is against God. There's a very interesting uh, psalm in, in Psalm 51 after King David had committed some very serious sin. He was a voyeur. He was a peeping Tom. He seduced a woman. He slept with her. He impregnated her. And then he used a variety of manipulative techniques to try to get the husband to think that he had impregnated the wife. When that didn't work, he sent the husband off to battle, had him killed so he could steal this woman and marry her. And after he was confronted by the prophet, he came to his senses and he knew that he had been sinful. And in the Psalms, he writes in Psalm 51, he says, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. And to which I, I always think, that's kind of strange. I'm pretty sure, David, your sin was against several people. I think Uriah would say, yeah, it was kind of against me. Stole my wife and had me killed. But the Bible would teach that fundamentally our sin is an issue against God. So even though we can forgive one another, ultimately only God can forgive sins. So the scribes are right. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So you ask him this question, why do you say these things in your heart? And here's what he says. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, that's a good question, Jesus. Both seem pretty hard. In fact, in my own strength, both are impossible. In my own strength, I can't forgive anyone's sins. And in my own strength, I can't just heal somebody. And Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus says, not only can I heal someone, but I have the authority to forgive their sins. And indeed, Jesus uses this healing as a way to demonstrate his authority to forgive sin. You and I have a sin problem. Whatever disease you are facing, whatever sickness you are experiencing, whatever physical uh, infirmities you have, the one that is the deepest that needs to be dealt with is our sin disease. And Jesus says, I have the authority to deal with it. The son of man. He is not just any man. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the unique God man. Jesus is God who entered into human history. He took on flesh. He became a man like one of us. He walked, he talked, he, he bled. He experienced life in all of its fullness as a human being. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he went to a cross and he died in our place, a very painful and a very shameful death. His, his body was broken. He experienced pain and weakness and physical affliction. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering over not just sickness, but sin and death itself. All right, I don't know if you know this, but the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he has the power to forgive sin. Listen, if you are here and you are not a Christian, 
Whatever you are facing in your life, as serious as it may be, it is not as serious as the sin issue that lies underneath all of it. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need Jesus to come in and apply the medicine, as it were, to the sin disease that is destroying you from the inside out. God wants to save you from your sins. And the invitation is to you tonight, give your life to Jesus, receive his grace, receive his salvation. Know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, not just because he healed uh, the, the, the paralyzed man, but because he himself rose from the dead on the third day. That resurrection proves that everything that Jesus said was true. Jesus can forgive sin. Jesus can forgive sin. And so this last section here, we see that sometimes in the Bible, sickness is connected with sin. There's, there's three different sections we've looked at. There's sickness and demons, there's sickness and sin, and then there's just, just because sickness. Because we live in a fallen world. Again, like I said, with, with, with the demonic, with with sin, just because someone has got the flu doesn't mean you need to run up to them and yell at them to repent. You don't know for sure. We're not drawing a one-to-one -one corollary. I get really nervous when people start using um, absolute, you know, well, you have this sickness because of this sin in your life, or you have this disease because of that. That gets, that gets me really nervous. The Bible doesn't teach with that level of specificity, but it does say that sometimes sickness is connected with sin. Sometimes it's spiritual attack. And sometimes it's just unexplainable. We don't really know why. What I, what I want to do, as we kind of start to close this, we're, we're going to take some time and we're going to pray for people who are sick here tonight. But I want to draw out from, from what we read, I want to draw out four principles to leave you with, okay? I want you to think through these with me. The first principle is this. Jesus can and does heal physical sickness, Okay? At Sound City Bible Church, we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is a healer and a redeemer by his very nature. And that God in Jesus may have done a, a unique move where we see a lot of miracles happening and a lot of healings happening, but there's nothing in the scriptures that would indicate at any time that God just changed his mind and says, nope, I don't heal people anymore. We believe that God heals. We believe that God heals. We believe that we've been given permission by God to go and just boldly ask, God, you can heal. I'll tell you this. Um, we don't deserve it. <laughs> Amen. It's his grace. And there's no magic formula that we can get to conjure up God to heal us, but we can just simply go and we can ask. Let me, let me ask this question. It's a little risky here. In this room, show of hands, how many of you have experienced a healing at some point in your life from God? Okay. That's a lot of you, wow. I'll share with you one brief story. When I was 17 years old, I had my wisdom teeth removed and um, they all were healing up just fine except for one. The, 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 the scab wouldn't seal properly. It's had a lot of pain. And after about a week, the scab popped and it started bleeding. This is kind of gross, I apologize, but um, I'm just gonna keep going because I want to. So uh, the scab popped and it started bleeding and the, the roots were left exposed and I just had a ton of pain. It was on a Thursday evening, we were having a church service, and I was leading worship at the church that night. I was 17 years old. And um, so I kind of ran out to the, you know, the lobby area, and I was just kind of laying there on the, there was like a couch, and just in a lot of pain, and just kind of like, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to go lead the music after uh, my dad gets done preaching. And some guys followed me out, and they saw that I was in pain, and they came, and they laid their hands on me, and they prayed for me. And I kid you not, instantly, the bleeding stopped, and the pain went away. 
like, oh, well, now I have to go lead worship, I guess. Okay. And I got to, you know, use my, my mouth to sing God's praises. He, he did a healing in me. It was amazing. I've witnessed God do healings. Jesus can heal. Jesus does heal. Listen, we believe in medicine. Amen? There's medical professionals in this room right now. We are not anti-medicine. Uh, in fact, I love when God uses doctors because the Bible says that all wisdom comes from heaven anyways. So if God does a miraculous healing or if God uses a doctor with wisdom he gave to them, God gets the credit either way. God gets the credit either way. But he does heal. Principle number two I want you to see this is that we need the Spirit's help to discern if the sickness is related to sin the demonic, or just because we live in a fallen world. Okay, we need the Spirit's help. We don't want to jump to any conclusions, but, but listen, we, don't, we also don't want to be afraid to ask some potentially uncomfortable questions. So in a little while, when we pray together, if you want prayer for healing, I'm, I'm just going to ask, is there any sin that God is bringing to mind that you need to repent of? That's okay. That's okay, too. It can be done in love. I'm not trying to out anyone. We want to see you... Your, your, your physical body restored, but ultimately we want to see you, your person, your heart, your soul restored to God. If there's sin there, that's a division. Uh, we can also say to somebody, if there's sin, we get to stand with them and pray as they pray in repentance. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. It says we don't have to keep carrying the heavy burden that we've been carrying. We get to come to God and receive his grace and receive his forgiveness. If there's spiritual attack or if there's something demonic involved, then we get to stand with our brothers and sisters and take authority over those evil spirits in the same authority that Jesus himself has that he now has authorized us to follow him in. And I would say this, if there is someone who is suffering from something, um, maybe a demonic attack or spiritual attack, I would invite you to include your pastors in that. Pastors are not super Christians. We're not better than the average Christian. But there is something to be said about God placing uh, the leaders in the church to love and care for the body in that way. And we would love to pray with you if there's something demonic going on. And if it's just because suffering, unexplainable suffering, then we show empathy and mercy to our brothers and sisters and we help point them to Jesus. Hey, I'm really sorry. I love you. I'm here for you. How can I help you? We bring them a meal. We take the kids away for, for a night or something so they can get some downtime. We just love on them. You know, we avoid uh, cliches or, or unhelpful little things like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason or, you know, those sorts of things, right? That's not helpful. I heard some ouches. I'm thinking somebody's probably had that said to them before, right? We just love them. We enter in. I'm sorry. I'm here for you. How can I help you? We need the Spirit to help us discern how to react in which situation. Principle number three. Here's, here's principle number three. We must ask with both humility and with confidence. Here's the deal. I know that some of you have heard Christians pray, and it kind of sounds more like they're bossing God around and telling him what to do. Anybody ever heard that? It's kind of gross, right? God, I'm telling you, and I call on you, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. Like, oh, he's God. He doesn't have to do anything, you say. But then I think sometimes we swing the pendulum too far over into the other ditch and we go before God with almost like this groveling, well, maybe God, if you could kind of find time in your busy schedule to help me out, it'd be good. It's like, oh, okay, hold on a second. Are we not sons and daughters of the Most High God? Those who are Christians, are we not adopted into the family of God? Are we not beloved sons and daughters like Jesus himself because of his death on the cross and our adoption into the family? And you know what sons and daughters get to do? They get to go to their father. 
We have been given permission, like in the book of Hebrews, it says to boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. And I love the picture of the leper. He comes with humility. It says he was kneeling, right? He's kneeling. But it says also that he implored him, like he, he kind of got after Jesus. Hey, Jesus, like, listen, I know you can heal me. Listen, I, I, need, I need a healing. I want, you to, I want you to heal me. He was kneeling. He was humble, but he had confidence as well. The friends of the paralyzed man, they had a lot of confidence. They got a hole in the roof. That's pretty confident, I would say. But there's still an element of humility there that they knew that they needed to go to Jesus. I would encourage you, check your own heart. Where do you tend? Do you swing more towards the overconfident, kind of boastful bossing God around in your prayers? Or do you maybe swing the opposite way and you're afraid to boldly ask God for what he has given you for permission to ask for? That's the third principle I want you to see. And then here's the last one. Principle number four. Every physical healing is a signpost pointing to the ultimate kingdom of heaven ultimate kingdom of God. Listen, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to because I love you. Every healing that God does in this life is temporary, right? All of the people that we just read about that Jesus healed, what happened to them? They're dead. <laughs> Happy Sunday, right? They all died. I actually feel particularly bad for uh, Lazarus because he died, Jesus raised him, and then he died again. Like, that poor guy had to go through it twice. That's not cool. It's not even cool at all. Here's the deal. We don't yet see the full effects of God's healing work on the kingdom, but we know that one day when Jesus returns, those who trust in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, will wake, will rise from the dust of the earth and will be given glorified resurrection bodies forever, free from aches and pains and sniffles and sickness and disease and death itself. Does that sound good to anybody? Amen. That is what we are guaranteed as Christians, as believers in Jesus. That is our eternal existence. We will not be shimmery and see-through. We will be in perfect, glorified, resurrected bodies. And Jesus said that we are to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. And so when God heals people, it's a signpost pointing forward to the ultimate reality after Jesus' return. We may get healed in this life. We may not. But when Jesus returns, we'll all be healed. And the only one in heaven who's going to have scars is Jesus Christ himself. We'll be free from the devastation of sin and suffering once and for all because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's some good news. That's some really good news. And so when we pray, we ask God, would you let your kingdom come to earth just like it is in heaven? We know that it's temporary. We know that it's pointing us forward to the ultimate reality of the kingdom of God. We pray with boldness. We pray with humility. We ask God to help us discern. And then we, we just ask. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna respond. We're gonna begin our time of response now. The first way I'm going to invite you to respond is like we usually do with the giving of our tithes and offerings. We'll invite you to give financially to support the work that God is doing in this church. Thank you, as I said earlier, so much for those of you who have given. God has been incredibly uh, faithful to us and you have been generous. So uh, I'll invite the financial stewards to come forward now and collect the offering if they would. 
We just invite you to give. If you're, if you're writing a check, you can uh, make it out to Sound City Bible Church. If you want to give online, there's online options as well. We can get you more information about that. I just want to invite you to give. While they're collecting the offering, I'm going to have them put up some discussion questions on the screen. So this week you can talk about them in your community group. So uh, just a few things to talk about. First of all, how can we help discern between sickness that is related to sin or the demonic or simply unexplained? I think God wants to use community for that. Don't try to discern it on your own. Be in community with God's people. Second question, how can we help one another like the friends of the paralyzed man? How can we, if somebody else is lacking faith, how can we have faith for them? Another question, how is your persistence or your confidence in prayer? And how is your humility? I like that word persistence too because we didn't cover it in this text, but there are many places where the Bible gives us permission. Jesus himself gives us permission to keep asking, keep praying. Maybe God didn't answer yes the first time, but maybe he's going to answer it on the 331st time. We don't know. Keep asking. What's the worst that could happen? You keep asking God for healing and then you die. Like that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then one day you'll rise with Christ and your prayer will be answered then. Be persistent. Why is it important to remember that every physical healing is merely a signpost pointing to the kingdom? These are questions I want you to discuss in your community groups. I'll post them up on our Sound City online community. You can see them there. In addition to our our normal time of response, we're also going to pray for those of you who are sick, okay? Uh, I'm going to put up James chapter 5, this verse on the screen. This is what James chapter 5 says. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So we need to pray if you're suffering. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Okay, so some of you are not suffering. You know what your job is? Your job is to sing really loud. And Pastor Joe and the band have some great songs for us to sing and respond to Jesus in worship. We invite you to sing praise. But it says, is any of anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to gather up. We'll have the elders and some other leaders will be over on, on this side here. And we would love to just anoint you with oil and pray over you. There's nothing magical about the oil. It's just simply uh, some oil that represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll just rub a little bit on your forehead. I've yet to find anyone who's volunteered to let me pour a whole jar over your head like they did back in the Old Testament, but we'll get there. Uh, it says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, there's that connection again, he will be forgiven. So we'd love to invite you to come forward for prayer. If you need prayer for healing, if there's something you're facing, we'd love to pray for you. If there's sin that you need to ask God for forgiveness for, we'd love to just rejoice with you as you repent. We're also going to come forward and celebrate communion. This is where we take the bread and we dip it into the wine or the juice and we remember that Jesus' body was broken. You've experienced physical affliction. Jesus has experienced physical affliction and his physical affliction was for the healing of mankind. So as you come forward for the Lord's Supper tonight, I want you to come forward with a heart of rejoicing, knowing that because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out, you can have uh, eternal hope in him. If you are a Christian, even if you're a guest, you're welcome to join us at the table. We practice an open table here. If you're not a Christian, you are welcome to become a Christian. Give your sin to Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. Come forward and take communion for the first time tonight. So I'm going to invite you to do this. Let's stand together. I'll pray. The band will lead us in song. You can come forward for communion when you're ready and come forward and and be prayed for and anointed with oil when you're ready. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are the God that heals us. You're not just interested in healing our bodies. You want to heal our souls. And God, right now, in this time, we see the healing of our souls for sure. We don't yet see the full redemption of our bodies. We know that's coming later. 
But God, right now we ask and we pray, would you let your kingdom come and would you let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? God, during this time of response, would you send your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts up and let us respond to Jesus in whose good name we pray, amen.